preaching through a sermon series entitled, I Am a Church Member, and actually I believe as I was thinking about this a couple of months ago and, and preaching, as I looked at this particular sermon here this morning, I, I believe I asked Dr. Roger Wilmore to be here to preach this morning because this is a, a, a sermon about minister, about your ministry team, about your pastor, and I thought it'd be good to have uh, someone else come and preach it, but he wasn't available, so you're stuck with me. So I'll do my best to get through it and to get through it as, uh, as good as I can. Seems that one Sunday morning, a mother went in to wake her son and tell him it was, great, it was time to get ready for church, to which he replied, I am not going. Why not, she asked. I'll give you two good reasons, he said. One, they don't like me, and two, I don't like them. His mother replied, I'll give you two good reasons why you should go to church. One, you're 54 years old, and two, you're the pastor. <laughs> now, through this sermon, when I say pastor, know that I'm including all of our ministry team and their families. Um, a couple of, uh, about a month ago, two friends of mine were having a conversation, Adam Ragsdale being one of those friends, and... Um, my other friend said to Adam, you know, he only works an hour and a half a week, to which Adam said, I think you're giving him a little bit too much credit. <laughs> uh, and, you know, that's the, that's the image that most people have of a minister. Um, they think that uh, ministers uh, work on Sunday, uh, about an hour on Wednesday evening, and I guess they figure the rest of the week we either fish or golf or whatever, but... Um, that's not quite the case, and a lot of people go into ministry thinking that it's a really easy life and a really um, perfect life, and, and it's not hard at all. I wasn't that naive. I had a grandfather and two uncles who were pastors, so I knew the struggles that they went through. But let me share with you some things about ministers uh, this morning. Uh, from George Barna and the research he has put together. 90% of pastors report working between 55 to 75 hours a week. 80% believe pastoral ministry has negatively affected their families. Many pastors' children do not attend church now because of what may have happened to their parents when they were younger. 33% of pastors state that being in the ministry is an outright hazard to their family. 75% of ministers report significant stress-related crisis at least once in their ministry. 90% of pastors said the ministry was completely different than what they thought it would be like when they entered the ministry. 70% of pastors constantly fight depression. 70% do not have someone they consider a close friend. 40% re report serious conflict with a person in their congregation at least once a month. And 50% of pastors feel so discouraged that they would leave the ministry if they could, but have no other way of making a living. That's the reality of what most ministers go through. I had this picture in my mind when I became a pastor, when I, when I became a full-time minister, and I, I came to this church as student minister in January of 2000. I talked to a couple of my mentors, and they told me how to break down my week and 
So on my desk there, I had a calendar, and on Monday I did specific things. On Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday was my off day, and then Friday I did. I had this thing. I had it all mapped out, and I sat there, you know, that first month of January, and, and everything ran like clockwork, and I did those things the way that I thought that it should be done. And then ministry happened. It was February of 2000, and one of my students named Gentry Sanford, was walking across the road in front of the gym at Spring Garden High School, and she was hit by a Ford pickup truck that was probably going about 30 to 40 miles an hour. It threw her up in the air, and um, she was just in a very bad way. And my pastor at the time, Derek Smith, called me, and he said, I'll never forget, he said these words to me, all right, big boy, it's time to go to work. And I thought, well, I've been at work for a month. What's he talking about? And so he told me what to do. We, I, I put together a bag and threw some clothes in it, and we followed Gentry to um, the hospital and center. And I'll never forget Gentry being unconscious and in the emergency room there at center and her leg was broken, and, I, and she was unconscious. And I'll never forget them setting her leg while she was unconscious and her screaming while she was unconscious. And I watched them load her onto a helicopter headed to Erlanger Hospital in Chattanooga. And at that point in time, there were uh, all kind of doubts and all kind of concerns and all kind of worries, but there were a group of people from our church and we were there, and as the helicopter lifted, we prayed. And then Derek and I got in our car, and we went on up to Erlanger, and we spent the next couple of days in Chattanooga just being with that family. And I realized it's okay to make lists, and it's okay to have things mapped out, and it's okay to have things drawn up the way you think they ought to go, but then ministry's going to happen. And as a minister, you have to be prepared for those situations, and you have to know that at the drop of a hat, that's what a pastor's life is like. Here's a question. Do you pray for your pastor? Do you pray for your ministry team? I'm grateful to say that I have a group of deacons who regularly get around me. This past Wednesday night, 10 of them got in the prayer room with me, and they laid hands on me and prayed over me. Some mornings on Sunday mornings, they come to my office, and they get me there in the um, outer area of my office, and they lay hands on me and pray over me. Um, they have made it a point to let me know that they are praying for me and for our ministry team because we desperately need your prayers. Read with me here 1 Timothy 3, 2, uh, 2 through 5. It says this, Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be, must be well thought of by outsiders, 
that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So, this morning, the crux of the matter is this. Pray for your pastor and your other church leaders. I'll give you some ideas of how to pray for us this morning. Um, I look at Micah and Seth, and I see them both with young families, with young children. Um, both of them at a point with um, four-year-olds, four- and five-year-olds. Micah, who went across the world to get Danny Ray and to bring her back here to Piedmont to complete or begin a completion of their family. And I look at it like this. I don't think that Danny Ray was just for Micah and Brandy, but I see Seth and Brittany and their relationship, and I see how Reed, Seth's son, takes Denny Ray and takes care of her, and he's learning how to be, uh, how, when he grows up, he's learning how to take care of, of, a, of, a, of a woman through that relationship. Just watch them sometimes and watch how he takes care of her. I remember the first few months when Denny Ray was here, and she would walk by the church office at the preschool, and she would wave and she would yell, I can't pronounce how she said Seth, but she would scream it out, and then Seth would sit and cry for about five minutes. But pray for them, because they have young children, and they have a whole lot ahead of them, a whole lot of things that they're not expecting or, or not knowing about in front of them. So pray for Micah and Seth and their young family, and for them to have the wisdom and guidance to take care of them and to raise them up. Seth's already had the great privilege of baptizing Reed. Someday Micah will have the great uh, privilege of baptizing Danny Ray. So pray for them as, as young parents. Um, I say y'all will be 35 tomorrow, right? Close to not being young anymore. Close. And then in Donna's family, Donna um, and, and Brian. Brian uh, was ordained as a deacon just a couple of weeks ago, and it has made... Um, I've, I've watched him, and he is just filled with the Holy Spirit and wanting to do a good job for the Lord as a deacon. And it's incredible to get to watch him in this experience. Don and Brian's oldest daughter, Darby, will begin a ministry here during the announcement. She's going to talk about the ministry that she God gave her a vision for a ministry for high school girls. And she's going to talk about that at the end of our service and how God has laid that on her heart. And, and she'll begin that. Um, their youngest daughter, Kirsten, there's probably not a person in this church who's more busy than Kirsten Bryant. And pray for her as she goes about that during that all the time that she's so busy that God is able to speak to her heart and talk to her in that. And that she's able to plug into the ministry that her sister Darby and some others are starting here in our church. Pray for them. Pray for my family. Um, I, you hear from me, those of you who are here on Wednesday evenings and Sunday evenings, and those of you who are in Sunday school with me, you know the things to pray about for my family. But pray for, pray for us. There are so many opportunities to pray for our church leaders. Pray for our new deacons beside Brian Bryant. Tyler Grimes was ordained. There was Tyler and Brian and Jeff, uh, Gr uh, Jeff Graves 
who was ordained. Pray for those three men and their hearts to be filled with the Holy Spirit and for them not to be overwhelmed with church business, but to be overwhelmed by how God is using them to lead other people to Christ and to lead other people to grow in their relationship. Our new deacon chair is Mark Stewart and the co-chair is Doug Rosser. Pray for them. Pray for them as they go about uh, the work that God has them for a church. How can a pastor be qualified for ministry without prayer? Look at those verses there in 1 Timothy chapter 3, those verses there in 2 through 4. All those things that it lists there that a pastor is, re, is, is called to be. I want to tell you that without the prayers of this congregation, there is absolutely no way that I can do any of those things. Absolutely no way. It's a very daunting list, and it can't happen without the prayers of the people in this congregation. And I pray that each and every day you're taking time out of your life to pray for those of us on our ministry team. How do you pray for us? Pray for, pray for us. Pray for him and his family. Um, I remember when I, was, uh, when I was in school, first grade through 12th grade, I went, in my class that I graduated with from first through 12th grade was Adam Calvert. Adam's dad was the pastor here at First Baptist Church during that whole stretch of time. And I didn't realize it until I had children of my own and, until I became a pastor. But looking back on Adam's experience, and Kim can, can amen this, looking back on Adam's experience in first through the 12th grade, Adam had the, um, there at school, there were so many teachers and so many administrators and so many adults there in our school who were members of our church, and they held Adam to a much higher expectation than they held the rest of us to. And I look back on it now and going through those 12 years of school with Adam, and I, I think about how, how miserable that must have been for him sometimes to have been a pastor's child and to go through 12 years of school with every time you turned around in class, it didn't matter if you were just talking out of turn. You were, you were put up here, and, and you're not supposed to even do that. You were supposed to be perfect. Now, fast forward to my kids. I remember getting um, picking Grayson up one time from uh, from after church and going in, and, and he was in the preschool area down here, and he was probably in about the three or four year old group. And uh, Julia Grissom, Julia Grissom was leading them, and they were doing like musical chairs, and she was letting them pick out the song to sing, and everybody else was singing "Jesus Loves Me" or this, that, and the other. And it got Grayson's turn to sing the song uh, and to stop for musical chairs. And Grayson bust out with, who let the dogs out? Miss <laughs> Jennifer, uh, coming back from kids' camps when they would go to, to Camp Lee and telling me that the whole time that Grayson was there, he was more interested in trying to kiss Sydney than he was in trying to and trying to listen to what Miss Jennifer said, and Sydney was trying her best to get away from Grayson. <laughs> and then I remember Bryson being younger, and, and somebody donated one of those electric uh, scooters to the church. 
And all of a sudden, going down the sidewalk, outside the church, going down the sidewalk, down Ladaga, there's Grayson on the electric scooter going down, waving at everybody like he's in a parade. It's always um, the pastor's family is the front line of their ministry, and we live in a glass house. And sometimes it's difficult, um, but it's what God called us to. And you need to pray for us as we live in that glass house. When I became pastor, they told me, um, you know, you can move in the house down in Westwood right there. And, and I thought about that in that house right there in the middle of Westwood. And I remember the two pastors I served with before. And I remember overhearing the things about, uh, you see all them bicycles in their yard? Or you see they, don't, they ain't cut their grass? And I thought, ain't no way I'm moving down there. <laughs> Not with Scott, Scott can tell you that my car gets lost in my grass sometimes. Pastors anguish when critics direct criticism at, at, at their family members. There's an anguish that goes along with that. Pastors worry that they neglect their families because of the demands of the church. I've known pastors who spent too much time at church and then find out on the flip side of spending all that time at church that they've um, lost complete control of their home and horrible things happen there. Pray for your pastor. Pray for your ministry team in those things. How can a man manage, how can he manage his household without prayer? Every day, make it a, a point to be an intercessor for ministers and their families. Pray for the protection of your pastor. Think about this. Read this with me. It says, Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Manage his own household well without dignity, keeping his children submissive. Now, just take that, those first two words in that. Above reproach. What does above reproach mean? Above reproach means living in such a way that nobody could find fault with your life. How many of you live that way? How many of you can say that I live in such a way that I'm living above reproach and nobody can find fault with their life? I go home every Sunday afternoon and there's three people there every Sunday afternoon who are wait, waiting to tell me what was wrong with my sermon. <laughs> I, I have no way to live above re, reproach. It means above finding fault, being respectable. 66% of church members expect a minister's family to live at a higher moral standard than their family. Every one of us should be living at the highest standard we can to please God. It's an impossible expectation for any man. Billy Graham had a rule when he began his ministry in the you know, the sad part about it is when I say Billy Graham, these guys down here don't even know who Billy Graham is. That's so sad. But Billy Graham had a rule when he began his ministry back in the mid-20th century. He and his team had a rule that they would never be alone 
with a woman. Never be alone with a woman. Never be, and when they counseled that they would be somewhere where there was glass, where people could look in and see them and see everything they were doing. I didn't think that much about it when I went into the ministry because I've lived here all my life and I know everyone and I didn't think that much about some of those things until I went one day, Betty Lively had baked me a cake and I went to Betty's house and Betty made me stand outside. She wouldn't let me in the house. And I thought, that's odd. She loves me enough to bake me a cake but not let me in her house. But Betty said this to me. That's when she handed me the cake. She said, Michael, you can't ever go in a house with a woman by yourself. Look, she said, we're surrounded by in, in a neighborhood here. What if somebody were to say something and accuse you of something? Don't ever go. And, and so ministers and pastors, we continuously have to think about those things and those situations. Mike Pence, the vice president, goes by the Billy Graham rule. He won't be alone with another woman outside of his wife. Did you see what the media did to Mike Pence because he made that statement? They, tr they talked about him like he was some kind of alien or some kind of Neanderthal because he said he wouldn't be alone in a room with a woman outside of his wife. But still, it's God's standard. It's what God said, and it's what we need to, to think about above reproach. This is only made possible through the power of your prayers. Because look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7 here. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. Now, though some of you are in uh, Sunday school lessons where last week you talked about the devil. This week you talked about demonic um, forces. And in those scriptures, we know that the devil is very real and the devil is very powerful. And it says right here in verse number 7 that the pastor's to be well thought of by outsiders. But it says that he pray for him that he not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. Now what is a snare? A snare is a trap. A snare is a trap. A trap is something that you set intentionally. If you want to trap something, if you want to set a, a trap an animal or something, you set a trap and you are intentionally trying to trap that animal. The devil has a trap set for each one of us in ministry here this morning. He has a trap set for me, for Micah, for Seth, for Donna. He has a trap set for all of us. He intentionally has set up things in our life and in our world that he has devi he's devised a plan to bring each one of us down. Because he sees ministers and pastors as a threat to him. And he wants to take us down, kill our reputation, kill our ministry, and make us useful, useless for the gospel. A temptation to destroy, a temptation to destroy our reputation. It, 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 I, don't, I don't know exactly what all it may be, but I know that I need you praying for each one of us so that we're 
discerning and looking two steps ahead of us in every situation spiritually so that we know what that trap is that the devil has set for us. So pray for our protection. And we can't, we, there's no way that we can accomplish these things outside of you praying for us every day and praying intentionally that we not fall into those traps. And then it says this, it says pray for your pastor's physical and mental health. Some of you are, there's all kind of things rolling through your mind when I said pray for your pastor's mental health. These are the two things, these are the two things that most every pastor will neglect. Is their physical health and their mental health. I give Seth this advice all the time. Seth, while you're young, you got one more day to be young. Seth, while you're young, get in shape and don't ever get out of shape. Because if you try to get in shape at 51, it, it'll break you down mentally. And not only physically, but mentally. And I tell him all the time, don't get fat. Stay in, get in shape, stay in shape, and, and, and make that a goal of yours for your whole life. I know minister after minister after minister who is not in ministry anymore and are relatively young because they didn't take care of their health. Because they didn't take care of their body physically. And pretty much they disqualified themselves through the way they lived and their diet and their lack of exercise. Now, I've told y'all, um, when I came back from Nicaragua, I made it a point that I was going to work on my exercise and work on my diet. I gave up sweet tea. I gave up all kinds of things. But I made the crucial mistake this morning of going through the drive through at Jack's while there sitting at the round table was David Martin and Ted Acker. And they're both pointing at me. Look, there he goes. <laughs> Stood up in the pulpit talking about his diet, and there he goes to get a pork chop and gravy biscuit. I treat myself on Sunday mornings, okay? But here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for me. Because I want to be in ministry. If I live to... Charles Stanley is 85 years old. And Charles Stanley, I, I want y'all to hear me. Listen to me. Charles Stanley's voice is heard by more people in the world every day than any other voice of the 7.5 billion people who live on earth. You get that? 7.5 billion people on the earth and more people hear Charles Stanley's voice every day than any other voice in the world. He's 85 years old. I want you to pray that when I'm 85, my wife and kids will just still listen to me. But I want you to pray for my health because I would love to know that when I'm 85 years old, I can still be productive standing in a pulpit preaching if that's what God wants me to still be doing. And I want you to pray for my health. And when you see me in line at Jack's, ask me if I'm getting, are you getting a salad? Or what are you getting? Call me out on it. I didn't, get out of the, I didn't get out of the stadium Friday night till 1045. Oh, I backslid hard. 
They were still open. Somebody mentioned as I was walking out the gate, you know, Jack's is open till 11. I wish they hadn't said that. Because I went right to Jack's and got the biggest piece of chicken they had and some french fries and went to bed feeling horrible about myself. Now, all that sounds silly, but, but really, pray for our health. Pray that God put angels around us to, to protect us from accidents. And pray for the health of our wives and, our, and, and our, our, our spouses and our children. Pray for those things. Because those things, if those things are going well, then it's not a distraction on us in ministry. So pray for those things. I'm asking you to, please. And then our mental health. There are... Things that I will encounter tomorrow that I don't know about yet. But I can promise you this. I will encounter things tomorrow that will be very stressful and will bring great pressure to my life. There will be people who will, who will have, there, there may be an emergency. There may be someone who comes to my office needing counseling. I've had some people sit in, in, in counseling and tell me things that are going on in their life that I will take to the grave with me. I want, I, want, I want to say this to you. I want you to hear me. If you ever come into my office and you counsel and I counsel with you, I can promise you that it will never leave that office. I had a minister. One, I, I've, I've, had two, I've had two ministers before I, I came to this church or before I was a pastor on staff here, I had two ministers that I told them things in confidence for them to pray for, and they both broke that confidence and went and told it. I want you to know that if you come to me and talk to me in confidence, what you tell me I'll take to the grave with me. My wife won't know. I won't go and share it with anybody else. You can, I, you can trust me in that. I will take it, I will take it to the grave with me. But I want to tell you this, those things that people bring ministers over and, and, and through a week, they will take a toll on a minister through stress and pressure, and it will take you uh, to a place where it will sometime, it will affect your mental health. Pray for each one of us to have wisdom and discernment. Wisdom to meet the demands. There are some things that are necessary and there, there are some things that are unnecessary for us to be a part of. Give us, pray for God to give us wisdom and discernment to know. Wisdom in those things. One of the things that I hope to do, I'm sitting down and trying to put together a list. of. I, I told um, our congregation, the people who meet with me on Wednesdays and Sundays, I've shared with them some of this. My goal is to finish well. I'm 51 years old now. I don't know how many years God has ahead of me, but my goal from this point on is to finish well. And to finish well, I need you praying for my health, and I need you praying for my mental health, my physical and mental health. And one of the things that I want to accomplish, I'm trying to put down seven things that I want to accomplish for the rest of my life. And one of those things is I want to be a mentor to young men who are going into ministry. And here's one of the, here's the first thing I'm going to tell them is this. 
is if you are a pastor, you need friends, you need people that you can, that, that no matter what's going on, you could pick up a phone and you could call them and they can meet you for lunch or you could do, and you can do things with them. You need friends and some of those friends need to be people outside of your church. But another, but the, the most important thing I'm going to tell them is when you graduate from seminary, before you go to your first church, when you know what town it is that you're going to, when, when you get there, already have a licensed Christian counselor available that you can speak to at least once a month, if not more. Because you need somebody you can talk to to pour your heart out to sometimes. Somebody who's not a part of your church, not a part of your congregation, you need somebody as a minister to pour your heart to every now and then who, is, who, who knows and, and is called by God to be doing that. Because God loves ministers, and He loves their mind, and He loves their physical bodies. And He wants to be uh, able to help them in those. And what we need as ministers is for you to be praying about those things each and every day. So, I promised you a short sermon this morning. I'll make up for it next week because I won't be preaching about myself. But here's what I want to... There's a pledge on the back of your worship guide. And it says this, I will pray for my pastor every day. I understand that the pastor's work is never-ending. His days are filled with numerous demands that bring emotional highs and lows. He must deal with critics. He must be a good husband and father. Because my pastor cannot do all things in his own power, I will pray for his strength and wisdom daily. I'm going to sign and date this, and I'm going to pledge to Micah and Seth and Donna and to the other ministry leaders in our church that I'm going to pray for them each and every day about these things. Today is September what? September 10th. 2017 I'm going to pray for them every day in their walk with the Lord and I'm going to pray for our deacons and our other church leaders every day so this morning I want to give you an opportunity to pray maybe you want to spend some time where you are praying for this ministry team maybe you want to come to the altar and pray for the people here in this ministry team there are some of you who have very serious health issues going on in your families. Maybe you want to come here and pray about those things or have other people pray for you. It's not the typical invitation that I give at the end of most services. Maybe you are here this morning and God's Holy Spirit has been speaking to you throughout this week and you know that you need to come and speak to a minister about your salvation. Now would be a perfect time for you to do that. Maybe... God is leading you to follow through in believer's baptism. Maybe God has, has told you that this is the church for you to be a part of as a member. No matter what, the, what it is you need to pray about, this morning would be a wonderful time for you to come and pray. I have no idea what all is going on in the hearts and minds of, of, of this congregation this morning, but I want you to know that now is a perfect time for you to pray about those things.
And I want you to remember this week, every day, to pray for the ministry team here at Piedmont First Baptist. Someday, Seth is going to be a pastor of a church. It's all over him. His wife is equipped to be a minister's wife. It's all over her. I wouldn't be surprised someday if, if Micah didn't walk into my office one morning and say, Michael, God has called me and Brandy to go to an orphanage somewhere in another nation. And we're going to go and we're going to serve God there. I have no idea what, where God may lead Donna, where God may lead myself. But I know this. It's a whole lot easier road when we know that you're praying for us. And when we know that every day you're lifting our families up and praying for us so that no matter what happens, we know that you are going to be praying for us. Some of you spend time every day praying for pastors that served you many years ago. I hope that Someday, if, uh, when Charles Stanley does leave First Atlanta and I go to take his place, I hope you'll still pray for me. <laughs> but pray for your ministers daily. Would you stand? Father, thank you for the opportunity. Lord, it's a difficult sermon because I don't like to preach about myself or, or about those things, but thank you for getting me through it. And Father, I pray that you would be with us here this morning. And if there would be a congregation of people who every day would be lifting us up in prayer. Father, I thank you that so many times throughout the week I get a text message or an email from people who say, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your family. I'm praying for your children. I'm so grateful for that.